Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to gather together, to fellowship with other believers, to be encouraged by their faith, by their devotion to you, by their love of the scriptures. And I pray that you would help me in this final session to say things that are true and helpful and right. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would take whatever I say that's true and right and biblical and press it down into our hearts and minds that we might be people who who love your word more, who read your word more carefully, who treasure your son and what he's done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, remind, just to remind you, we're creating a memory palace that we're able to walk back through and remember some of the main points, uh, things to keep in mind when interpreting the Bible, some essentials to keep in mind as we interpret the Bible. So when we come into our memory palace, we have the uh, we have this, uh, uh, like a dance ball. We have the projecting prayer, uh, this disco ball, projecting prayer hands all over the wall. We've got MC Hammer praying in the background. You've got to pray. We've got the prayer tattoo. So it reminds us, we, we begin by saying, Lord, open our eyes that we see wonderful things in your word. We go to the next room. We see the wallpaper. We say, yeah, the Bible's not just a book. It's, it's a library filled with 66 different books with all sorts of different genres, even within... Even within one of those books, like, the, like a gospel, which is narrative, you find within it micro-genres. You have parables, you have you know, prophecy, you have all these different genres sometimes mixed together in the same book. And then we have, we have in the same room, we have the bull stand, the bull hold tightly to the biblical author's intent. The next room, we talked about Luther, hand on the Bible, pointing to Christ. Every passage is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. How is, how is the Bible about Christ, and how does it lead us to treasure Christ and what he's done for us. And then we need to go to another room. And for me, I circle back out of the sunroom to, to my daughter's room. And in that room, uh, we see, um, well, I, I put like school desk in there, like kids sit in in a school room. And, and on each one of those desks is sitting uh, a fish in a formaldehyde jar. <laughs> so it's a room filled with desk and fish in formaldehyde jar, which, which is not something normally... I find in my daughter's room, right? I've never found that. And that's part of the purpose of the, of the memory device is to put something unusual there. And, and uh, so this is to study the fish. This is to remind us of the meditatio, the oratio prayer, meditatio, meditation. And, and uh, why am I choosing a fish in a formaldehyde jar? This is a, there's a famous story written by a, na a guy named... Um, uh, Samuel Scudder called Agassi and the Fish by a student. And he spoke about his experience uh, being a student of, of Louis Agassi. And, and I'm not the, this story is not original to me. John Piper has used it. Daniel Fuller has used it. Other people have used it. But Louis Agassi was the founder of the Harvard Museum of Comparative Zoology. And when the student came to meet him, he said, hey, I'm so excited to study zoology with you. You know how I met him. The professor said, that's great. Here's a fish. And he gave him a fish in a jar of formaldehyde and said, study this. I want you to note everything you can about it. And I don't remember the exact details, but if we just play out the basic contour of it, uh, Augustine went away. And the you know, student, he's in there studying. 30 minutes passes, an hour passes. A couple hours pass, three hours. He's like, I got to go eat lunch. He eats lunch, comes back, studying. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm looked at this long enough. So then the professor comes back and says, tell me what you saw in the fish. And he, he is proud. He lists all these things. And, and the professor says, hmm, you need to look longer. You need to look more carefully. 
And this happened for several days. <laughs> he, he, you know, obviously went home and slept at night, but for several days, he kept saying, look longer, look. And the, the, finally, the student took the fish out. He drew it. He did all this. He said, I saw things I never would have seen before. Just the power, the story illustrates the power of extended observation, right? Extended observation. And many times, I think, especially in our, all our culture, we think of studying the Bible almost like skating. We do it like skating on the surface of, of an ice skating ring. We zoom, zoom over it. But it's really, it should be more like soaking in a hot tub, right? There should be just sitting in, meditating on, thinking about. And in fact, some of the things we've already done, as someone pointed out, thinking about the genre, thinking about the authorial intent. That's meditation too. You're thinking really carefully. And, 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 and not just like now, but throughout the day, you know, when you're mowing the lawn or you're waiting in the carpool to pick up your kid or you're doing the dishes or you're, you're walking somewhere. You know, you're, you're thinking about the text. You're thinking about what it means and how it applies. And, and, um, and this is not just a good idea. It's also the pattern that God has given us in Psalm 119. Right? Psalm 119, the model of approaching the Bible, oratio, Luther pointed out, prayer, meditatio, meditation. And so Luther points out that, maybe I should say, in, in our culture when someone says meditation, there can be a tendency to think of like Eastern meditation. You think about these Hollywood celebrities who go to Tibet and, and sit on a mountain and chant, chant things. But biblically, meditation is directing all your thought and creative energy to the Scripture and letting the Scripture fill you. So it's not emptying not reaching a point of empty self-consciousness or something like that. It's being filled with the Word of God, singing the Word of God, speaking the Word of God, thinking on the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. Like it's, it's just this sort of thing. So Psalm 119, 11, the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? Storing up God's word in our heart, memorizing it, thinking about it. Psalm 119, verses 13 through 16. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. Luther points out in his, his article, he says, meditation is not just silent. Meditation can be allowed where you're, where you're speaking the word of God. You're hearing it. You're, say, you're, you're singing it. In, in the early days of the church where I served as one of the pastors, there was this extremely creative young lady She's artistic, photographer, painter, drawer. And so what she would do during the sermons is that she would always do one of these, these drawings that uh, very sort of abstract or whatever, but, but it, for her, it would illustrate, okay, I'm, I'm using my creative energy to think about the text that the preacher is preaching. And she had, at the end, she had a series of, of drawings that, that went through the book of James. You know, here's different elements of the book. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. So delighting, delighting in the word of God is meditating as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So again, if you read through Psalm 119, it can, it can challenge our, our very flat view of meditation is just sort of thinking silently on it. Sing, memorize, declare, delight in. All those things are directing your creative energies to the Bible to, to, so that it soaks into us. 
Psalm 119.27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Martin Luther, you'd almost think I'm Lutheran, I quote him enough, but I'm not Lutheran, but he, he does very quotable. Martin Luther said, and take care that you do not grow weary or think that you have done enough when you have read, heard, and spoken the words of Scripture once or twice, and that you have complete understanding. You will not be a particularly good theologian if you do that, for you will be like untimely fruit which falls to the ground before it is half ripe. So we've all, we've all eaten, like hopefully, hopefully you've had the experience of eating a fresh, juicy peach, but maybe you've also eaten a peach that's hard and green. And, you, and Luther's saying, if you meditate on the Scripture... It's like having rich, luscious fruit that's just juicy. That's, that's what it's like, as opposed to just gnawing on a half-ripe uh, green uh, peach, something like that. Okay, so, so I'll start us. We, we were in the room with point to Christ, and then we went to the next room. Study the fish. Meditate on the Scripture. Direct, sing, speak, think about memorize the Bible. On a very practical level, if you're a preacher or if you're a Sunday school leader that, or you're leading a small group, that means that it's better to start preparing a week early than the day before because then you have more time to meditate on it, right? You have the, maybe you have a little card with the scripture text you're doing that week and you have it in your pocket so if there's like downtime in the day or you're eating lunch, you're you're looking, you're thinking about it. You're thinking when you're walking from one place to the other, you're thinking about the text. Maybe when you're exercising and you say, well, how do I, how can I make a note? Like if I want to get an audio, you know, you're running on the treadmill. <laughs> you know, record, record your thoughts that, that come to you as you're meditating on the text. And then for me, I, at this point, the next room I go to is actually the hallway. And when I go into the hallway... Who do I find there but the Brady Bunch? Some of you have, who has ever watched the Brady Bunch? Most of us have, know what it is, right? It's a show from the 70s where you have like the, these two families that are, it's a blended family. I think the, the mom brings the three girls, the dad brings the three boys. And, you know, it's a little happy family uh, story. Um, and so, you know, here's the story of a lovely lady, and here's, the Bra- here's all the Brady Bunch, right? They look great, they have, they're happy, they have little pigtails and all that. But this reminds us that when we come to the Scripture, when we're teaching the Scripture to others, or when we come for ourselves, um, the Bible speaks to sinners, right? The Bible speaks to us in our need, in our guilt, in our fear, in our inadequacy. We may come with a facade, but it's a facade, right? And when we show up on church on Sunday morning, people look nice, as we would expect them to. They're polite, but we come with lots of different needs and fears and guilt and so on. So this is a book written by one of the former Bradys. It's entitled, Here's the Story, Surviving Marsha Brady and Finding My True Voice. I have not read this book, but I've read the reviews of it on Amazon and I understand correctly, she, um, you know, there was all kinds of abuse going, you know, drug abuse, inappropriate relationships with young people, all this, all these things going on um, behind the scenes. Like the Brady Bunch, they look so perfect, you think, that's such a cute family, I love watching that, but disaster, right, in the, in behind the scenes, disaster. Um, Mr. Brady looks like the perfect father. Um, but he was living a very different lifestyle than the way he was depicted in the Brady Bunch. He ended up dying of HIV 
uh, in, I think, 1992. So, the, again, there's, there's, uh, it's a reminder that what looks like a facade of perfection and goodness is, is, is just hiding the need underneath. So the Bible is not just an abstract list of principles, but it, God has given us medicine for our souls. The Bible solves the essential problem we have of alienation from God. It, it answers the deepest longings of our heart for belonging, for knowing that we can be forgiven, for having guilt and shame dealt with, for knowing, um, to, knowing that we're loved. Right? The, Bible, the Bible addresses this. And so... Um, just speaking very transparently, uh, as a professor at the seminary, I'm required to go to all the chapels, right? I have to go to every chapel. I've been to so many chapels over the last 20 years. been a lot of chapels. Some of them are really good, but then occasionally when I'm in chapel, just to be frank, um, I find myself zoning out. And maybe it's because I didn't get enough sleep the night before. Or, but, but then sometimes it's because the person hasn't told me how the, the passage really relates to to me or why I should care that they're expositing it. If it's just a lecture, if it just ends up being a lecture on, on biblical history or something, then, then I'm left sort of, I'm left zoned out. You know, why? why? And, and if, we're, if we're constructing a good Bible study or even seeking how the Bible speaks itself, sometimes a good question is, what, how is this text really addressing and what the author's touching on, how is it addressing a need I have? So we looked at Galatians, right, and how Paul's talking to the Galatians. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to obey food laws. Asking ourselves, where am I, as, as Pastor Steve just pointed out, where am I thinking that on the basis of something I'm doing, I'm earning the favor of God? Where in my own life have I failed to consistently apply the gospel to, to really trust in the finished work of Jesus? Where does this speak to, to that in me? So how do we get, how do we get there? Uh, in terms of doing this better? I think, number one, we ponder the broken human condition in the Bible. The Bible is completely honest about humans. We are seriously flawed and inconsistent people. Uh, In the Psalms, one-third of the Psalms are lament Psalms, crying out to God in distress. It's very, very instructive, isn't it? You think about if the Psalms are the songbook of God's people, one-third of them, are crying out to God in distress, in fear, in oppression. You know, someone's mistreating them. Someone's spreading lies about them. They're sick. Uh, they're, they're sad. They're lonely. Like, you think, wow, how many times, it's a challenge us to think about, how many times do our songs in the church allow for that expression of faith? Faith in the midst of suffering, right? Speaking about the, the honesty of the, the Bible, uh, when, my, um, when my eldest daughter <laughs> was, uh, was very young, I don't know, six, she was an early reader. One of my other daughters hates reading still, but my eldest daughter was, was an early reader. And um, so she asked me one time, she said, Dad, what will you give me if I read the whole Bible? We had her a little New Living Translation, easy to read. I said, baby, if you read the whole Bible, I'll give you anything. Anything you want? She said, really? I said, anything a six-year-old wants? What do you want? American Girl doll? You know, $100? Whatever. Just read the Bible. I'll give you whatever you want. She's like, wow. You know, so then she starts reading. You know, I'm like, oh, that's great. She's up in her little bunk bed reading. Then she's just, she's just at it, you know, just going, going. Then I hear, dad. I'm like, yeah. She's like, Noah got 
drunk. I was like, yes, he did. I said, that's true. The Bible presents Noah's flawed. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, hang on, what's coming up? It's, like, it's the rape of Dinah and stuff. I'm like, hang on, baby, let's skip. I'm going to help you get to your goal faster. And we can, I'm going to put a post-it note right here so you can skip to there, right? Because the Bible is very honest. She lost interest. She didn't finish it. We were, we were talking during the break. She's the also one. When, when the kids were really small, we, had, uh, uh, we would have them listen to the Bible during their nap or rest time. We just had it on a CD. Now you just stream it, right? But I had it on a CD. And, and the publisher gave us free copies of a new, new Bible on CD that was called uh, The Bible Experience. So it's dramatized. And it's all, um, all African-American or black. Um, pastors or actors and actresses. It's very dramatic and really amazing to listen to. But um, she, we didn't have really many black friends at the time, but she would listen. It was very distinctive African-American style. And then one time she heard like a, a black person speaking on TV on the news, and she goes, oh, that person sounds just like Jesus. She's, <laughs> she's like, that person right there. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, another time, this is sidetracked, this is where I'm getting sleepy, but another, she was, she was in, sitting in her little bed and she was so troubled by her thoughts. She's like, Dad, she wouldn't tell me even what she had thought. She's like, she, it was clear she's bothered that could God forgive her for this. I'm like, sweetie, you don't need to be afraid. God, can, God will forgive you for all your sins. You know, he's, she said to me, she looked at me a little serious. She goes, but, this, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall never be forgiven. <laughs> I was like, wait, who's been reading the Bible to you? <laughs> so she, she, heard that, she heard that CD, and it, that, out of context, it really scared her. She's like, did I do that? Have I done something against God? You know, but anyway, random thoughts. All right, so number two, another, another reality as we're thinking about approaching the Bible with honesty and how it speaks to what we have is to know the broken human condition of those around you. And um, I get the sense that this is a congregation where that happens, right? Where you're, we're honest about our, our failures and where we um, let people know that marriages are struggling or um, we're struggling with some sin or addiction or uh, that we, we can be a place where, we, where, we, uh, where we're honest with each other. And to, to know our own brokenness, to not be self-deceived and to, to be, seek to be self-aware before God where, where we have those inconsistencies and, and how the scripture speaks to them. And this can be rightly, rightly shared with other people in the, in the right context. I'm thinking about a famous pastor who came to visit Southern Seminary and uh, he started his, he started his, he's on the radio, he's on the radio, he's a well-known person. He, and he started his sermon by saying, on the way down here, I, I was getting on the plane with my carry-on and the person wouldn't let me carry it on and I was grumpy about it and frustrated with the guy who wouldn't let me carry, it, carry on on. I was rude to him. Then I sat down. He served, it's the guy, same guy serving him a drink. He leans over and says, I enjoy listening to you on the radio. <laughs> right? So it's just, a, it's, he had to say, hey, I was rude to you. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Right? There's, an, there's an honesty there. There's an honesty. So, so realizing, again, that the, the goal of Bible study is not to amass more knowledge. Knowledge is good. But is to let the Scripture expose who we are 
and speak to us at our deepest need for forgiveness, for love, for strength, for wisdom. Like how does the Bible, let's approach the Bible as a living, as a living word that speaks to us. And then when we, if, you're, if you have the privilege of constructing a, a Bible study or a sermon or message for someone else, realize that they don't want a list of facts. Many times the most effective messages begin with say entering through the door of where the where the scripture touches on deep need so you, so people if you say come here and see how this speaks to this part of what you're struggling with and people then they want to listen they're like how does that's what i'm thinking about how does that speak to that how do, how does the bible help me deal with that and there's a the, then of course we're not we're bound not by their need but by the biblical author's intent but to get them to hear that, we often have to enter through the door of need. All right, so first room, prayer, genres, hold tightly to the biblical author's intent, point to Christ, study the fish, meditate. The Brady Bunch, the Bible speaks to sinners. Right? It doesn't speak to perfect people. It speaks to us in our need and our failure. It speaks to sinners. Finally, I don't know if I would stay with this image if I, uh, if I redid this. Maybe I should redo this. But finally, the seventh image, whew, we have to go out on the seminary uh, lawn, okay? And so you can fly out the window, whatever you want. Boom! That's the amazing thing about imagination. You can just be there, or you can make it part of the room. And the reason I choose this picture, the, the point is, don't default to old patterns. Don't default to old patterns is the seminary lawn, if you come to the center of the Baptist seminary, and I'm usually teaching students about this, there's, uh, it's beautiful green lawn, they, they just pile up fertilizer and water, but then when it gets really hot in August, they can't help it, those two stripes appear right in the middle of the lawn, no matter how hard they try to do that. And the reason is, haha, in the 1950s there used to be two brick walkways right through the middle. And they probably use some sort of herbicide that's outlawed in the Western world now. And so deep down in the soil, it's still there, right? Or maybe, maybe it just got packed down so much that, that it's like that. I don't know. But it's so easy to, to learn more like we are today or be challenged. Maybe, maybe it's not learning, but being revisiting the fundamentals. You're like, yeah, I knew I should really be praying more as part of my biblical scriptural study. I've gotten lazy. I haven't been doing that. Or, yeah, I've been approaching the Bible more moralistically as like, here's a list of things to do and not really treasuring Christ. But it's so easy to go out from here and then just default to the old. Life gets busy. Like I, and, and then you, you know, a month later, you're like, what did I, what am I doing differently? What did I apply? What's stuck in my life from that? And so I want to give you a final challenge to not default to old patterns, to not default to old patterns. And um, the, um, uh, I'll, I'll give an illustration to try to encourage and inspire you in this. So uh, sometimes I hear our seminary students preach, and um, one of them, he was a pastor in the area, and he asked, I don't remember how I ended up there, if he invited me or whatever. But I, I went, and, and I heard him preach, and it was, to be honest, it was not very good. I was like, okay, well, that's too bad. Um, and then I heard him like a few months later, and it was really good, which is strange, because usually if someone's not a good preacher, 
they stay not a good preacher the rest of their life. Someone's a good preacher, usually they keep being a preacher. So I found out what they did. They said every Sunday night, he got together and some other people in the church that he invited, and they just gave him raw feedback about his sermon. And he improved. I'm sure it was extremely painful to begin with. But he grew. He changed, right? So it's, it's just a question of, you know, if we're, how can we grow and improve? Usually we, usually we have to invite some other people into that too, right? So a challenge I've already given you is to take something away from here, whether it's praying afresh in your scripture study, treasuring Christ. Like, so prop, maybe with a spouse or maybe someone else, if you're not married, just say, hey, here's one or two things I really want to do. Set a reminder on your phone. Ask me in a week. Ask me once a week. Am I doing that? Because I really don't just want to kind of have a good idea, have a good start, and then not, I, I really want a little bit of accountability. To, let's share with each other something, we're lear- you know, something related to this for the next month and to try to make it a habit so we don't just fall back and do the same thing over and over again, right? All right, I'm going to quickly go over the, the memory palace And then I want you to try to do it with one person next to you, to try to go through that with your neighbor. So, so again, we've done this several times. So we come in, first room, we have the disco ball, prayer hands on the wall, pray. Lord, open, open my eyes that I would see wonderful things in your word. If we go to the next room, we have the, the, all the different sports on the wall. There are different genres in the Bible. There are different rules for those genres. The bull, hold tightly to the bull. Hold on to the biblical author's intent and go wherever that leads you. And we go to the next room, right? Luther, point to Christ, right? Point, hand on the Bible, finger on the text, finger pointed towards Christ. People's eyes directed to Christ. Our eyes directed to Christ. Next, study the fish, right? To meditate. Don't just, not just skating over it. Thinking about, singing, praying, memorizing, so hot tub, the hot tub of meditation, soaking in the Bible, not skating on it. And then we go out in the hall, oh, the Brady Bunch. The Bible speaks to sinners. It speaks to us in our guilt, our failure, our need, our fear, because that's who we are. We're broken, broken people who need a Savior. And then finally, we're out on the seminary lawn. We don't want to default to old patterns. We don't want don't want in the heat of life just the stri- old stripes to reappear and just keep doing the same things. We want to be growing. We want to be changing. And so thinking about what commitment that would be. So let me encourage you. Turn to a neighbor. And each one of you try to go through those in turn. And then we'll do that for about four or five minutes. And then we'll come back and take any final questions.
Hello, hello. Testing, you guys, good job. Thank you, if you're not done, it's okay. You can pause, you can stop. Some of you are done and some of you are not done. So good, good job. Let's, let's end, we just have a few moments left. So it's your time, whatever you wanna talk about. I may or may not have a sufficient answer for whatever you, or you may just wanna make an observation or you may wanna share something from your experience of learning to interpret the Bible or seeing it interpreted well or poorly, whatever you want to talk about. Um, So as far as, um, so like biblical interpretation within a church and and kind of within, uh, so, so biblical interpretation as it applies to like the culture at large has kind of been a hot button thing within our world as mm. of today, mm. like, are there, are there guidelines that you kind of set up that, that would, or within these that help you then to like bring the word to bear on the, the culture at large around you or how you address that culture? Yeah. It's Chris, right? Is that the name? Yeah. So the question is about how to address the, are there principles of biblical interpretation to think about how the text addresses the culture? Yeah, and so that's, that's a valid, very valid question, and it ties into the level of implication, right? So you think about, first we have to know to whom was this originally written, and what, what, was, what was the inspired author trying to teach those people, and then what, by implication, is there today and certainly I've been reading through Philippians quite a bit recently certainly there's there's a lot Paul is very concerned about that congregation and their unity and their faith but there is the issue of the outsiders too for example he says that um, they they should uh, shine like stars in a dark world in a crooked and depraved generation Uh, and so the question then by implication, what does that mean today? What does it mean to shine like, you know, if we just look at that passage? But there are plenty of other passages that, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, of course, um, the people of Israel are distinct from the nations by their distinct laws, you know, their food laws, their Sabbath laws. We don't have food laws and Sabbath laws, but, but by implication, how are we separate how are we a separate people? How are we unique and different from the nation, from, from the surrounding pagans and in such a way that we don't get pushed into their mold without realizing it, maybe. So I'm not, that's just some off-the-cuff thoughts, but that's one, of the, that's one of the reasons we don't just read Charles Spurgeon's sermons, right? Because the culture changes. So the things he was addressing is a different, it's a different world we live in today where uh, we have to deal with, for example, the distraction of the cell phone. And I'm not, not, I'm not talking about just like the potential for someone to view immoral things, on, but, but just having a constant, ever-present distraction rather than where we can focus on God or the people we're with. That's one thing. Um, there's always, it seems to me, there's always a tendency, there's a famous statement about historical studies of Jesus, where they said most people studying the life of Jesus historically in different time periods were like people staring down the well of history. And they thought, 
I see the face of Jesus in history. But in reality, they were only seeing their own reflection in the bottom of the well, which much, you know, the people who were rationalists, they depicted Jesus rationally. The people who were romanticists, they saw Jesus as romanticists. The people, you know, so there is a, there's always the danger of approaching the Bible to fit it into whatever we care about, right, rather than what it really is about. So you have, yeah, you have people, uh, you know, lesbian and queer readings of the Bible, you know, where people are basically taking the Bible and picking and choosing passages and half of verses to try to support um, something that clearly the biblical authors were not talking about. I don't know, that's just some off the cuff. Chris, do you have something in mind that you, you feel free to, your own reflections that you want to bring in? Uh, so yeah, just um, again, like the last over the last with with like the COVID lockdowns and the um, like social justice movements and things like yeah. that, and kind of yeah. just how trying to trying to process those, trying to deal with again very very strong emotions yeah. outside the church and inside the church. Like I think that insight of like what does it look like to be holy unto the Lord yeah. is just a really helpful framework to to put that in. Just to, yeah, like like where you where you brought that up, and um, like again that Exodus passage, like they had their laws, but then you also had that reality of what will distinguish yeah. us. Yeah, that God's presence with us distinguishes us, and it's like okay, how does that come out? Well, mm. Philippians, like, yeah, <laughs> full, yeah. Of, full of joy. So just trying to think that through, and um, I like I, I know like that even between like Steve and I, like we've had, yeah. I think good tensions sometimes, and. I'm trying to work through those things. Good. Thank you for sharing. That's good. Yeah, I have, a, I have my own little, my personality probably plays into this a little bit, but I have a tendency more to be, rather than, you know, like teaching through a book of the Bible, whatever it touches on, I'm going to deal with that, rather than doing like topical, like I'm addressing this thing in the culture right now. I'd rather be in the text and be like, look, what does this say about the cult? Someone can't claim I'm like got some agenda. I'm like, what does this say? And so I like to. That's that's a little bit more my my approach. Other thoughts, questions, comments. Uh huh. Steve may want to get you on the microphone because they're recording this for people to hear later. It, maybe you didn't realize that, but here you go. Thank <laughs> I've you. changed my question. <laughs> Um, how would you approach a situation where there's two believers who truly believe that they're walking through the rooms or through the steps, but they come away with a different interpretation? Yeah. yeah. Um, how, what would you, what advice would you give to a believer who's trying mm. to grow in the truth when yeah. it seems like, because obviously yeah. there's different de denominations within yes, the church. Yeah. This is, this is, uh, this is another chapter in the 40 questions book, why do Christians disagree, right, about what the Bible says? This is a good question. And so sometimes you had good qualifications, but sometimes Christians or people who call themselves Christians can disagree about the Bible because of significant presuppositional differences. You know, like the, we talked about the example of the mainline liberal person who interpreted it like uh, there's weed and wheats in each of our lives because he doesn't believe, he doesn't believe in hell because he has a presupposition. So there can be like a flawed, 
we're, we're to that even calls into question whether that person is a Christian or not, right? That it can be serious now. There can be an issue of um, there can be an issue of sin in people's lives and blindness. But then, genu- as you point, genuine Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians can disagree about secondary and tertiary matters. I don't think you find genuine born-again people disagreeing about that. That Jesus is is divine, you know that he's the second person. That that it's necessary to repent or believe, and you know. But then then we come to the issue of baptism, right? Do you have to be baptized as a believer? Can you be baptized as a baby? Right? We're we're in a church that used to be a Presbyter, Presbyterian church. So Steve told me right there was where they baptized the babies, right? Where that where the, where the vent is now, right? And <laughs> it's a, it's a symbolic statement right there to to put a vent there rather than a baptismal. But the, um, to sort of suck out the flawed theology out of the room. No, I just kidding. Just, just kidding. So I have, I have, I have so um, maybe, maybe the Apostle Paul is instructive here. In Romans 14, it's the language is striking. He's like one person eats everything. Other person has these dietary concerns. One person considers one day more sacred than another thinks uh, all the days are like. And you think him say, I'm an apostle. Let me tell you what it is. But he doesn't say, let each person be convinced in his own mind. So he's like, on these secondary and tertiary matters, he does seem to allow for some level of disagreement and growth. Not that, you know, in, in thinking about 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, the issue of food offered to idols, meat eating meat offered to idols, clearly he thinks it doesn't matter. But he knows some people have sensitive consciences and that they can't do it. So he's like, don't bother them. You know, don't eat it in front of them. Don't make them worry, make them do something they feel like is wrong. So there, there's issues of growth in conscience. There's issues of this is not an essential matter. You know, eschatology is a huge example of this. People, do they believe it's a literal millennium? Is it symbolic? Is there a secret rapture? Is there, you know, all these things. But you have to say, what's essential is that Jesus is coming back, right? But I do believe that the more carefully you study the scriptures, and the more you seek to submit all your presuppositions and all your biases to that, you, you, you're drawn closer to, to faithful, faithfully interpreting it. And we need to admit our own biases. So I made the joke about baptism. But, you know, I'm, I grew up in a Baptist home. I was baptized as a believer. I teach at a Baptist school. Like, if I changed my views on baptism... I would lose my job. <laughs> you know, like, there's a big cost for me. So I have to be honest about that. I'm like, can I objectively, just, can I objectively see that situation, realizing I have all these internal, now I, I, I'm Baptist by conviction, not because it's my job, but I just have to be honest and be like, you're, you're right that there probably is a deep underlying bias, even if it's a correct bias, towards, towards that for various reasons. So just trying to be honest and, uh, and focus on what's essential. Do you have any follow-up thoughts on that? Are you thinking about a particular issue or example that you want to share? You don't have to. I, can, I think you're thinking about one, but maybe it's not one to share. That's fair. That's fair. Other comments or questions or thoughts? Yeah, Mason? So what role do you think that church history should play in our oh, yeah. interpretation of the Bible? Yeah, great. Well, um, 
Yeah, so we don't just come on the scene after the apostles, do we? Yeah, so we have hundreds of years of history, of reflection, and we would be foolish not to pay attention to that, especially to, you know, the huge ecumenical creeds that the church has said. We want to summarize what we see as uh, the, the proper summary of Christian doctrine. So, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I think that's, that's important. And also important and instructive is as you study church history where there have been periods of reformation and renewal where traditions that were not found in the Bible were critiqued and rejected as, as well. So yeah, I think, I think knowing church history um, and learning from it can, can help us because this, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, right? people who've gone before us that we can... So it's, it's a good idea not just to learn from living people, but to read sermons and books by dead people. And uh, so uh, one of, I'll mention a book that I worked on that tried to do this. So it was a book about marriage. It's called Held in Honor, and I co-wrote it with one of my former students. And I love this book because most of it is not me. And it, what we did was we went throughout church history, starting with first century and then Tertullian and then you know, Augustine, and, and we have these, these in just about one paragraph quote, what, what did they, how did they see marriage biblically? And, and it's just really, when you read through it, you're like, wow, this is just really rich, and it's to hear about people reflecting biblically on marriage over, over centuries. And it's good because they're all dead, except for John Piper. John Piper's the only living person that we have in there. Elizabeth Elliot was alive when we published it, but she's passed away. So there's very little chance for scandal to ruin the book, right? Because um, sadly, you know, people will write a book about marriage and then you find out they've been having an affair or whatever and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, another celebrity pastor crash. But these people are all dead. And uh, except for John Piper, and I'm very confident that he's, I'm very confident he's going to finish the race well. Yeah. Any other reflections, thoughts, comments? Austin, our philosopher. We talked a little bit about philosophy. He's yes. going to ask me a hard question. I'm just going to say, I don't know. Well, not exactly philosophy, but, but thinking of interpreting the Bible, how maybe can you offer some reflections on how some of these principles maybe apply to natural theology? You know, God created the world around us. It all speaks of his glory. But I think of Romans 1, yeah. we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Um, so how can we apply some of these principles to thinking through experiencing the natural world around us in a way that causes mm -hmm. us to see Christ as more glorious? Yeah, which is a, which is a wonderful thing to do, to, to worship God by looking at nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, right? Psalm 19. So, of course, today we've been talking about special revelation, which is God's unique and clear revelation in the Bible. You also have natural revelation, which is the beauty of the world around us, the conscience that he's given to human, human creatures, both fallen and, uh, and redeemed. There's some level of conscience that's left there. So I would say that, um, you know, I, I, it's a valid question. It's not what we weren't talking about natural revelation today, but the many passages in Scripture do speak of 
the conscience or the beauty of creation, God's wisdom. And so I, I think maybe the way that, that would come into play is as we read and meditate on those texts, they direct us to rightly understand the world. So we don't worship the sun. <laughs> Some people look at the sun and worship the sun throughout history, but we, we understand the sun was a thing created by God, and it's glorious as it makes its way across the heavens like a chariot, you know, from one end to the other, uh, but it's the, the special revelation that guides us, right, proper understanding of special revelation guides us to a proper um, assessment of, of what natural revelation means. Yeah, that would be my off the cuff, but do you, I know you've, you've obviously thought about it, it's a good question, do you have any thoughts to add? Yeah, th thank you for your thoughts on that. And um, just that special revelation is obviously God's, uh, you know, Second uh, Timothy 3.16. It's God-breathed. Uh, and so I appreciate uh, you mentioning Psalm 19 and that as this is his word that is given us for everything we need for life and faith, it makes yeah. sense that, that that has to be the priority in this helps us understand what God has put out there in the world. Um, it's not saying something different than what God has said here. Rather, this is the more clear revelation. Yeah. The world around us is just a way for us to see that, um, you know, the drama of redemption played out in history, right? In, in mm. time and space. Um, it, yeah, that, mm. thank you. You might, you've probably read before C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, but he has, in the early chapters of that, he has a reflection on, he's like, what, what, what could we say about God if we only had the world to look at? We'd say, well, he's an amazing artist. And then this is C.S. Lewis's provocative statement saying, he must be cruel to have us suffer like this, you know, with sickness and all this. Sort of, and then he says, but that's not, really what the story is. In other words, the, showing the inadequacy of the human mind and natural revelation to reach proper conclusions about who God is and why the world is broken, why it is sad and there's sickness and death and things like that. So, other, other, any, anything else we, we just have, we can end early or we have five minutes if somebody would like to, we'd love to hear if you have a thought. You want to share? Don't have to ask questions. Love to hear a thought, testimony, testimony time. One has a tongue, one has an interpretation. I, tell, I get my students, I say, now memorize, I get them to memorize the Lord's Prayer in Greek. In the original language, I say, if you're ever at a church where they're just going crazy with tongues and stuff, just get the microphone and go and see if somebody has an interpretation. <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, go for it. All right, asking for a friend. And uh, I'm from Grace Covenant Church in Beaver Creek, if anyone asks. <laughs> Just kidding. So my question is, do you see any potential conflict between room three and four? Between pointing Maybe. to Christ and meditating on the text you're talking about? No, oh, I'm talking about riding the bull. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. 
and uh, and one hand on the scripture, yeah. one pointing to Christ, and possibly yeah. even um, brokenness of the world, the audience, and myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. But more so. Yes. I, I, obviously, I want to believe that all scripture is pointed to Christ, yes. but yeah. at some level, how is that not interpreting through a, a preconceived conclusion? Yeah. Well, again, it's a great question. And are there examples of sermons that seem to be an unconvincing pointing to Christ? Absolutely. Right? So it's like where it's like where the student writes the dissertation on something and then they see it everywhere and you're like no it's not everywhere it's you're you're obsessed you <laughs> so like there are that's why i tried to point out legitimate and you know here's multiple ways the bible points to jesus it's not always like you know, typology or proposition sometimes it's just it's showing the need for redemption Many times it's just showing human need or something like that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, like, one of my favorite preachers to listen to is Tim Keller. I love Tim Keller. I think he's fantastic. I don't, I would, if I were preaching, and obviously he's, much, he's passed away, and I'm a much more skilled preacher than I'll ever be, but sometimes the way he jumps to Christ at the end, I'm not always, not always convinced that it's, like, like when he did the Esther, and he's like, Ham, Haman, you know, he wanted he wanted the 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 king, uh, the Persian king, to to like him, to be his favorite. He's like the, Haman's problem was that he he was seeking the favor of the wrong king, right? There is a king that we who's, and you're like uh, maybe I don't know. I just don't see that in the text so much. I don't see that trajectory. It seems a little forced to me. It's rhetorically beautiful. It's Appealing, but I'm just like I don't. Yeah, I don't see that typology there. So it's a it's a reason why it's good to have multiple pastors in a church or in a Bible study. You're not alone, and you say, "Hey, do you guys or community? Do you think this is a legitimate thing to see this connection with this? Or am I am I put? I need. I'm asking honestly. Don't just give me a polite answer. And and then people say. Ah, yeah, that does seem a stretch. That does, you know, or, 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 yeah, maybe, you know, let's think about this. Is it? And then you become more or less convinced. So it's good that we're, we're in a community of interpreters. Um, I don't know if that, that answer um, is satisfying. It's somewhat, it leaves it somewhat in the realm of I agree with you, and, and yet it's a process of, of trying to discern the proper Christological interpretation. Anyone want to add something to that? Anyone have some thoughts about that themselves? Uh huh. Years back, there was a wise theologian that um, gave me a um, an assignment, and that is uh, to to visit churches. Um, and then come back and, and uh, report on what I was seeing. And he said, um, but there's one caveat to it, and that is when you go in, you are um, a child of God. You are there to receive much from God and worship Him. And so your observations are everywhere, but at that point, you are... are 
worshiping God. And then when you leave, then um, you can begin to critically look through everything, write things down, ask questions. And then once that happens, then if you have a relationship, you can go back and say, um, upon thoughts or whatnot, I have some, some questions. Are you open for some questions? And then have some interactions over things that were um, less, uh, I guess, convincing to me and, and, and uh, more perplexing to me. And, and I've tried over the years to um, be um, open without being gullible. And then out of that, maybe like coming out of this today, I'll have some some uh, questions and I'll zip something over to Rob and say, Rob, good heavens, what were you talking about with that one? Um, but right now, there is nothing that's coming to my mind as, as we're worshiping and, and thinking and whatnot. I guess it's just pumping the brakes and knowing that we're, we're here uh, amongst diversity to honor and glorify God. And then coming out of that, there might be a few things that uh, were tweaked or speed bumped or uh, hit some fly paper and couldn't get past it and just write things down and then go to someone and say, hey, are you, are you open for a conversation over this particular thing? Thank, thank you, Dan. Steve, are you, are you good to close this out in prayer? Do you want to say anything? First of all, let's give uh, Dr. Plummer a hand. Thanks.